Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Chris Burris joins us this week to discuss ESS60, a molecule which also serves as a powerful antioxidant. While this product is his baby, the crew doesn't shy away from pushing back on some of the claims surrounding this carbon-based supplement. Does it really help you sleep better? Does it really assist with focus and battle free radicals within the bod? Chris has some compelling evidence that says, yes, it actually does. Tune in to find out more about how to live forever. Here it is, episode 479. Welcome to another episode of the Premier Podcast and Strength Conditioning. Ing. What? Sorry. You, dude, come on. I had a it's mental... 2021. Are you sure? I, I thought we were getting rid of the ing. But are we keeping it? Strength Conditioning. Ing, ing, ing. Well, ing. it's two ings for our hotline. Ah, the, the opportunity hotline, which we'll get into here in a second. Yes. We got a great podcast today. Our friend, Dr. Chris Burris, who is uh, working with a company that, you know, he and his partner created ESS60, which is a pretty interesting product that they reached out and we're interested in coming and talking on. And we're always interested in what's going on within the supplement market, especially when it comes to longevity and performance. And Chris is one of the cool scientists out there. You think he's really a scientist? I just thought he, you know, he drove in on his Ducati, had his lab coat and got in front of a plant. And next thing you know, he's over there talking sciencey stuff. I mean, technically a, a, an engineer yeah. by trade, but he was, he's able to apply his education to do some cool stuff within the, the company that he gets, gets into here. Very science dense. I was struggling to keep up a little bit with some of the names y'all were dropping, but no, he, riveting uh, nonetheless. Yeah, no, he, he referenced some good books, um, you know, got into, you know, um, antioxidants and nanotech and some really interesting stuff. So I'm, uh, I'm actually in- interested to give this product a try and see if we can do the old Pepsi challenge. I know, uh, I, I know you've been taking it since we booked them on the podcast. They sent out some products for text to take and just like everything, I kind of sit on it and I, this is something that's probably been more prevalent in my life, but I've never been the person to volunteer to go first. I I always (laughs) default to somebody else so that I can see how this whole thing's going to go down and then kind of formulate an idea. Like in the NFL, whatever it is, you go first, I'll go second. Let me get a chance to see you make some mistakes. So when I saw you pounding it, I just kind of put it on the counter. I was like, Hey, I know we got a podcast with Chris. I want to learn about it, hear about it. And then from there, I'll be able to give him the uh, old Pepsi challenge and the double blind. Yeah, and we we do push back on Chris and challenge a little bit because we had a a recent, I wouldn't call it recent, a previous podcast where we got a rope-a-doped into a hard product push. So we gave Chris a little oh, a little business. Yeah, that's right. But he did. was able to yeah we well share uh, the background of what led to wasn't that the red deer antler? Yeah. Oh god, that was some bullshit. And I and I had a tough time containing my disdain, especially when you started getting into uh, oh, what was the guy using? He was using the muscle testing, the applied uh, um, the applied it's not applied kinesiology. Yeah, it is applied kinesiology where you use muscle testing, which has been shown to be some witch doctory as a as a deal for it, but well, yeah, either way. But we were able to deep dive, and and Chris provided the history of his experimentation, and that that's pretty cool. This is not just some get rich quick scheme. He invested almost. They started with this in 1991. He's invested nearly a lifetime, almost yeah. his whole career, because he met his business partners in college. Yeah, and um, 
man, no. yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty um, pretty interesting. He was talking a little bit about supplement fraud, but uh, I the part I found was uh, the dividends in terms of, of sleep. And so he's mm-hmm. working with a, a guy in terms of using the um, aura rings and how to manage sleep and see if this product is able to not only help people. And uh, I think the thing that's pretty fascinating is they don't have, I mean, they, they obviously have the toxicity study for it that ended up becoming a, a longevity study when it, um, that was kind of the catalyst for this. But, uh, you know, the idea that they are working towards doing some double-blind research and some studies and getting that funded is pretty fascinating. And I always appreciate some of the anecdotal stuff. Um, like I think we've talked about, you know, sometimes the research is good and sometimes the anecdotal stuff, uh, you know, when you talk to people that are, are doing it. But the other problem you run into is when people make or decide to do something like, hey, I'm going to take this product, what else are they doing? Mm-hmm. So we, we found this, that very few people make a life change, just a single life change. They kind of take a shotgun approach. I'm going to sleep better. I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to start eating better. I'm going to do this and this. And they, they do four or five things at once. I suppose from just changing one, like, Hey, I'm going to exercise. Okay, great. Once I start exercising, now I'm going to check that and I'm going to improve my diet. And now I'm going to work on my sleep and we tend to make wholesale changes. So I wonder, uh, you know, if the people that are taking this are kind of making a wholesale change or they're just merely dropping it in. Um, so, but for the most part, I'm excited to give it a try and, uh, interested to see what you guys think about it. For sure. Yeah. And Chris dropped a little product code at the end if you're interested. The same time, man, this is a, a fun conversation. I, I took a lot of notes. We save all the, the the banter and the bullshit towards the end. If you want to learn about octopus and what ha- that Octopi. has to, octopi octopuses and what that has to do with <laughs> olive oil, you got to wait till the end. Yeah. Well, uh, let's get into it. Ready, ready, and go. Chris, welcome to. Another episode of Power Athlete Radio. We're excited to connect with you. I've had the opportunity to dabble in some ESS60. Have you really? Have you been secretly taking ESS60? Is oh, that yeah. the difference I've been seeing you in the gym? Because you look lethargic as fuck. Uh, what do you? Th- oh, I'm okay. <laughs> sorry. But my uphill my, battle. My hair and my skin is just glowing, John. <laughs> you know. Uh, what do you think holds it up, Slick? <laughs> is it maple syrup? No. Nope. Could this ESS be the maple sixty? <laughs> uh, Could this be the maple syrup of the uh, supplement industry? Chris, was I supposed to use this as a hair product or? <laughs> Um, I actually have started, we're working on some skincare stuff because of testimonials that our customers have been giving us. So, um, you, you can definitely use it that way. I know that my wife uses it, uh, and, and actually our, uh, really Cassandra, our operations lady uses it on her air regularly. Awesome. Well, what is this, uh, ESS 60? I mean, uh, you're Chris Burris, you're, uh, the founder creator, uh, just give us the, the 10,000 foot Matt Mac review and we'll keep working it. Sure. Um, I'd like to start. I never wanted to be in the supplement industry and we'll get to how I kind of ended up there. Uh, It all started with this molecule. So for those who are watching, you can see it. For those who are listening, uh, it's a spherical molecule of 60 carbon atoms. You can picture it by picturing a soccer ball where the lines on the soccer ball represent the bonds between the carbon atoms. So you have this spherical molecule of 60 carbon atoms. Um, it's the first molecule that is a closed cage molecule that they ever discovered. In fact, the guys who discovered it here in Houston at Rice University won the Nobel Prize. They discovered it in 1985. By 1996, they won that Nobel Prize. Um, 
it's so unique that closed cage formation that there's a new symbol in chemistry. Uh, the at symbol, which we know from our email addresses, is new to chemistry uh, as of the discovery of this buckyball. Uh, that's one of the affectionate names of it. We, we call the product that's available for human consumption ESS60. Um, so through that initial discovery uh, and then subsequent Nobel Prize, they won it because the material is pretty amazing. It's um, harder than a diamond. It's superconducting. It'll actually turn into a diamond. It's got six-fold symmetries, so you can fire it at 15,000 miles an hour at a plate of steel where most molecules will just shred apart. This one will just bounce right back. It's great at holding electrons, uh, which is kind of why it makes a great antioxidant. Um, but, but really, I'm, I'm a carbon nanomaterial scientist. I started the business with my uh, business partner, Robert, in 1991. And we're just happy-go-lucky carbon nanomaterial scientists until uh, 2012. Uh, in 2012, they published the results of a toxicity study. They actually thought this molecule would be toxic for various reasons. Uh, and in that toxicity study, they gave rats water, rats olive oil, and then rats olive oil with ESS-60. Instead of being toxic, those rats given, well, really the My Vital C formula lived 90% longer than the control group. Um, so that's kind of a big deal. It's the single longest longevity experimental result in history. It is peer-reviewed published research, which is, of course, kind of a hallmark of anything that you want to uh, hang your hat on, and we can um, link that. Not only, and we can link that in the show notes. So if anybody wants to take a I'll look make at sure it. I, I get that to you. Um, and and again, it was like I always like to give kudos to the researchers because they were doing a toxicity study. They assumed this would be toxic. Uh, a Wistar rat typically lives 32 months. Uh, at 32 months, all of the control group were dead. So those rats that were given water, just water. Uh, we're all dead. And at that point, really, your toxicity study is over because you can pretty concretely say it's not toxic because the rats given my vital C outlived the, the rats given water. But they continued to do the animal husbandry for another 30, to 30 months. So, so the, rats the rats given just my vital given, C lived out to 62 months. Were the rats just given water, no food? No, it was they. It was regular. They regular food. Yes, so they actually did eat, which would I think they would have died sooner. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was like, wow, a rat can live for thirty two months on just water. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a heck of a fast, right? That's a big <laughs> big trend right now. Um, uh, you know, God damn it! Uh, now you got me on this because um, uh, about ten years ago when fasting got kind of popular, I remember going back and looking at all the peer reviewed research on it. And it just looked like a really f fun, easier way to do caloric restriction that all oh, the studies yes. were like feeding studies where they showed like de decreased feeding windows versus extended. And at the end of the day, it looked like calorie balance. So if you need to, uh, you know, fast to effectively give yourself a smaller feeding window, it works well, but there's no magic. And yeah. I think a lot of times with a lot of this stuff and, you know, especially with supplements, the reason that at least the back of my hair is stick up on everything is because it kind of sounds like magic. So to have actually something that's peer reviewed is kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's it. I mean, it is one of the things that's kind of propelled this and, and, and kind of grown the market. Um, we're still teeny. T it's still a teeny tiny market. Um but it's interesting, you know, we, we talk about fasting because, you know, the result in this study was the 90% extension of life. 
the next best way to live longer, and it has a ton of research, is calorie restriction. Uh, you restrict your calorie consumption by 30% and you can extend your life by 30%. The research on that is in multiple animal, animal models. So it's, it's, very, it's highly likely that it um, applies to humans just because they've yeah. tested it on so many different models. Uh, I call that the starve yourself one third to death diet. Um, it may be a marketing thing, but nobody seems to sign up for that, no. that particular <laughs> and And at the end of the day, would I really want to live longer starving myself in like kind of like a sarcopenia, this fucking, you know, depreciated state? Like, what does my life look like in that extended period? I would rather be as virile and as strong and, you know, like not eat like an asshole, but like, you know, carry as much muscle mass as I can for as long and then go to bed and not wake up one day. It's better to burn out than fade away. Well, like the Highlander. But uh, yeah, I mean, whenever I read these uh, calorie restriction life extension things, I'm always imagining like some dude who's like, you know, Mr. Burns, who's, you know, too frail to get into society, but I'm going to live longer. And you're like, well, what does the quality of your life look like? Yeah. And and in David Sinclair's book, he talks about uh, lifespan. He talks about calorie restricted people and how they were like, even on warm days, we're all always wearing sweaters, you know, yeah. a la Mr. Burns, like he, he needed a sweater all the time. I, I love that book. I thought it was great. I, I recommended it last year as one of my you know books to read in 2020. A- absolutely. And he's kind of, so, so obviously this product kind of landed um, in, in, in my lab. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Right. Sure. So this study comes out in 2012. And um, we actually started getting phone calls and people were like, hey, how much in a dose? And we're like, carbon, nano, you think, picture us, carbon nanomaterial scientists, hats on. We're like, the dose, no, uh, it, it goes into tires and ink and battery cells and solar cells. You don't put it in the human body. Now, this was despite the fact that the literature is pretty clear. So, so carbon 60 is for industrial applications and there's peer reviewed published research that shows when it's improperly processed, it's actually harmful. And then ESS 60 is C60 that's been processed for safer human consumption. And even back in 2012, when this, well, especially when this toxicity study came out that turned out to be a longevity study, um, it's pretty clear that if you process it properly, it's safe. Um, Even so, like we're conservative scientists, this isn't really the industry we wanted to go into. So mid 2013, when we started getting more and more of these phone calls, we actually added not for human consumption to our labeling. So imagine from 1991 until 2013, we didn't have to bother <laughs> with that labeling. And in mid 2013, we're like, hey, not for human consumption. But we did sell the the, the ESS 60 in oil uh, so that you could recreate the rat experiment. And from mid 2013, kind of keeping moving forward, kind of the next pivot point was 20 end of 2017. Um, people would call us with just amazing testimonials, like my knee pain is gone, and we're kind of like, you mean the knee pain of your rat is gone, right? Like, <laughs> like that's what we weren't actually encouraging people uh, to take it. Oh God, this sounds like. Um... Uh, like the, you know, like the performance enhancing peptides that are going around where they're, you know, not meant for human consumption. And then I, you know, I get a ton of emails daily from uh, people asking me questions. Hey, like, you know, uh, either consults or just, you know, asking here on the podcast. And I had a guy send me this, hey, I'm taking all these peptides. So I, I researched them and like every one of them is like not for human consumption, not for human consumption, not for human consumption. And so you're going on, then you end up on some like weird Reddit form or some weird bodybuilder page that these dudes are like, oh, I took this and I was, you know, it's just like, huh, and well, well, even when I was living in Tampa, 
I would get on, I was on a raw milk kick. I had to go to a specific store. And then it, on that gallon, it said big stamp, not for human consumption, but it sold at like a health foods store. Man, it's, it's a, it's a weird market is, um, I mean, obviously we're carbon based life forms. Is that any factor associated with this? I mean, is this filling in some holes that maybe that are happening with the deterioration? Well, um, I, I, we don't think so. Um, cause really this molecule, although it is a naturally occurring molecule. So if you collect the soot from a candle, you'll find parts per million parts per billion. So obviously very tiny amounts uh, of this molecule. Um, and so it's not something that our body, like you, I mean, we could, we could go back in history and say, Hey, maybe the buckyball was more available, you know, whatever, you know, back to the Bible, they talk about, you know, people living 200 years, uh, maybe it was around then, but that's like, you know, that's less scientific discussion and more kind of over a beer, uh, uh conversation. Right. Um, what we do know is that it's an antioxidant. You have to be really careful when you're speaking about anti-inflammatories. You guys probably know this, that for whatever reason, the FDA has declared that talking about inflammation is talking about disease. You guys work out, you've felt inflamed and you know, it's not necessarily disease. <laughs> so, but for whatever reason, the FDA has said, we're, if you're talking about inflammation, then uh, you're talking about disease. So what we say is it fits very naturally in an anti-inflammatory diet. And that diet's been associated with reduced incidences of stroke, reduced incidences of heart disease, and actually uh, people, you know, the blue zone, people living a longer life. Well, um, and, I think that yeah. there's a, uh, a distinction between uh, acute inflammation and chronic inflammation. And, you know, I was just watching a, a deal yesterday where um, we had a podcast and they were talking about... Um, uh, God, what did he use? It wasn't uh, geriatrics. It was bi- biatics for people that are super heavy, you know, like the people they got to cut out of their house. And we were going mm. through it. And it's like every one of them is like, no, but I drink Diet Coke, <laughs> you know. And then it's like, yeah. well, you know, on a calorie basis, you know, Diet Coke's not that harmful. But when you're, you know, drinking it, like, is it causing systemic inflammation that's maybe, you know, leading to some of these issues? So, Well, but, and, and, and then like one stat I read is you take I think it's one teaspoon of whatever fake sugar you want and you're killing 50% of your gut bile, right? And there, we're just becoming more and more aware of how important, you know, that gut biome is. And so, yeah, I used to be one of those people. I, I was, uh, I, I run half marathons. My wife and I run half marathons and one of them I was training and I had this crazy calf problem. And my chiropractor was like, so how much water do you drink a day? And I was like, well, how much does the diet Coke count? And she said, minus one. I was like, well, then minus six waters a day. Because I was just, you know, I was like, hey, it's less calories. I, for whatever reason, I'm not a big water fan. I just don't like enjoy drinking. I don't, I'm not drawn to drinking water. And I was to Diet Coke. Um, but I cut that out and and that made a big difference for, for actually my calf injury. So um, yeah, I would, I'd stay away from them. I have one like every quarter, maybe. So it is, uh, is this like, is olive oil uses the transport for this? That's kind of how you're packaging it. And then that's the, because it's probably obviously the molecule is so small that there is no kind of supplement. It has to be in some form of transport. Yeah. Well, so you can get the powder and it's just a black powder. The problem is, is that black powder is not water soluble. Uh, so it really just kind of goes through your system and gets excreted by actually dissolving it in olive oil. And we actually have an olive oil product, MCT oil product and avocado oil product. Um, by dissolving it, you're getting down, you know, when it's in solution, it's actually down to the monomolecular level. So you've got individual uh, ESS-60 molecules floating around in the oil. 
And then, so you can consume those and are, there are a lot more bioavailable. So how, I mean, if we were to drill down, like how does it really work? I mean, I, I know we've talked about, you know, uh, you know, the effects of it, but like how does it affect the body in terms of longevity? Do you understand, or I'm sure you understand the pathways associated with it. Uh, thank you for uh, your confidence. Um, <laughs> the, the reality is, is I, I, I like to say smarter people than me are going to figure that out. Um, we do know that it gets into the mitochondria. We do know that it's an incredible um, um, uh, reactive oxygen species sponge, right? So it's a great antioxidant. If you were in a room filled of, of kind of medical experts of, who understand intimately the mitochondria and ask them, hey, would it be beneficial to have a, a free radical sponge in the mitochondria during these ATP processes? They would all say yes. Um, is that the exact mechanism? It's just a theorized mechanism that they haven't, that hasn't been explored yet. Um, and I actually have, I, my director of research is a, is a former f physician, and I have interesting conversations with him about maybe the molecule works as an antagonist, right? So we've got this understanding. In fact, the result of calorie restriction is that you, your, your body starts getting rid of zombie cells, senescent cells, right? And so if this molecule's in there and it's actually being an antagonist uh, and causing your body to kind of clean house, uh, then that could have the impacts. Uh, I, I don't know that any one of those explains our most consistent testimonial, which is people take, our customers take this in the morning, they report mental focus and energy during the day, and then better sleep that night. And I'm actually doing a sleep study. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Aura Ring. I've got, I've got an Aura Ring. Yeah, um, um, Harpreet, who's their CEO, is a friend of ours and been on the podcast and we've tested it. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So I got this because I got in contact with through through kind of getting onto podcasts uh, with a professor at the University of San Diego who's a consultant for Oura Ring. And he's like, hey, let's do I'm like, hey, I've got this. I think most supplement companies don't actually reach out and try and get research done. I'm trying to get research done. Let's let's kind of map out what our most consistent testimonial is. Uh, and he was all on board. Then COVID hit, you guys may know that this ring turns out to do a reasonable job of identifying COVID, even yeah. pre-symptom. -sym, pre yeah, with the uh, pulse ox. Uh, it's actually the temperature. Oh, with the temp? Okay. Yeah. And so you got to have a baseline. You can't throw it on today if you if you thought you got infected today. But if you've got a good baseline, um, they're able to do a good job. And I think the NBA has even asked or authorized their players to, to wear them as kind of a preemptive, you know, let's identify COVID. Um, and I know that I'm trying to think of somebody that I know I had a conversation with. He actually said, I think it was a physician. I'm going to be on his podcast next week. Um, he was saying that his wife, uh, it kind of warned her that she was sick right at the time that she was getting COVID. Oh, wow. Anyway, so Benjamin, the professor at the University of California, San Diego, um, he's just been waylaid. Like, you know, you can imagine the press is contacting him. You've got some device that's kind of the future of these wearable health devices. And so he's been inundated. But we've continued to do the survey part of our sleep study and, and have some very good results. And what we do in that study is we get 10 days of their survey data. So we're asking them, how good was your sleep last night? How quickly did you fall asleep? How restless was your sleep? And then how do you feel today? Um, and that data is, a, and, and then we do that. We collect 10 days of data before they ever try the product, 10 days on, 10 days off, 10 days back on. 
and the results so far, we've got about three people who have gone through the whole process, um, are, are pretty good. Uh, and that kind of isn't surprising because of all that, all those testimonials. Now, when you start talking about all the other kinds of testimonials that we get, and I, I can share some of my own knee pain, uh, help with migraines, there's just lots of things, by the way, uh, the FDA has not evaluated our product. It's not intended to treat, diagnose, cure, or prevent any disease. Um, and you know whatever response you might have could vary very much. Um, and the only testimonials I'll ever share are people that I can get back in contact with. I don't think like, oh, one customer told me another customer did this. That's that doesn't. Uh, I wouldn't share that type of testimonial. Um, with all these really good testimonials, if they're just getting better sleep, like we know that sleep is good for your mental, physical, and emotional well-being, that could explain everything. What's interesting about the process with our product is you take it in the morning and then sleep better at night. I'm aware of only two other things that you can do in the morning to sleep better that night. One of them is exercise, right? I mean, obviously, if you exercise anytime during the day, but if you exercise in the morning, you'll sleep better that night. And the other is actually getting exposure to the sun so you can get your circadian rhythm in line with the, the rising and falling of the sun. Uh, everything else that's supposed to help you sleep. And there are actually some herbs out there that I would recommend. Um, but the, the sleep aids that get prescribed, they're just, you know, there's a book. I don't know if you guys have read it, uh, Why We Sleep by yeah. Dr. Matthew Walker. Yeah, and, and uh, Dr. Kirk Parsley, who's another expert, uh, who's actually a buddy of ours that is here in Austin, um, was a former Navy SEAL and then was a SEAL doc for 18 years and uh, has done more research on sleep and really shitty sleep than yeah. anybody else I know. But yeah, Dr. Matt's book's excellent. It's like, it's, it's, it's crazy how, how important sleep is. I like we all as a society, I think say, Oh, sleep is really, really important. You know, unless you got something else to do or uh, the only, the other one is hydration. Uh, so, yeah. uh, hydration being a major player and ask anybody that's gone out and had a hard night drinking. If all of a sudden they had a restful <laughs> sleep and the way it was explained to me was, uh, like the worst hangover that you die from is actually dying of thirst. So, uh, mm. you know, hydration also plays a key function within sleep. So it's, it's interesting that you mentioned hangovers because one of my conversations with, uh, with Benjamin, uh, the professor who's a consultant for Oura Ring, um, was I was on the phone with him like, oh, you probably have some interesting sleep data on when people drink. He's like, oh, yeah. And he like sent me over his. As soon as you have two drinks, it actually takes a while, a lot longer for your resting heart rate to drop down. So normally when you go to sleep, it's just pretty flat mm -hmm. uh, and it drops. We've, we've had testimonials of people saying that it's mitigated hangovers. And when I looked at my data after a couple of drinks, um, it actually was flat from the beginning, right? So I didn't have this, um, this slow decrease from a higher resting heart rate to a lower resting heart rate. That actually was my uh, heart rate for the, uh, for the evening. So are you um, seeing like an age dependent issue? I mean, I know as we age in mitochondria, we lose mitochondrial density. Uh, obviously, you know, a larger aerobic base and continue to train and lift weights allows for you to increase your uh, mitochondrial density. I'm just wondering if like, you know, kids that are 18, 20, 25 years old, opposed from somebody who's taking the product 60, 70 years old, if like the, you know, cause you said that this kind of plays within that mitochondrial pathway. Yeah. So, um, I think that we, I've kind of noticed that the healthier somebody is maybe the less that they notice. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's, I'll be honest. I don't have data on that. Like that's just kind of feeling I have. What I can tell you though, is I've got two testimonials from some employees, um, 
when they the the next day after their first serving of the product um one of them plays indoor soccer it's a total sprint sport it's kind of like hockey you do line changes he said he went from 10 minutes on the pitch to 20 minutes on the pitch even if even if he was exaggerating and it was only 15 that's a significant amount of additional sprinting couple that with the other guy that he used to work with me uh he was a former uh, professional football player in the afl he and his wife, his wife is a trainer, were running stairs uh, at a stadium the day after their first serving. He noticed and she noticed the difference in him and his ability to run those stairs. And I've got actually one other. Uh, it was kind of funny because I recorded it and it was just absolutely filled with expletives about, you know, what the hell is in this stuff. Um, so so that's kind of healthy people experience, you know, having a positive, a really positive experience. Um so I, I, I don't know. And I've got, you know, I've got a couple of testimonials. I would say 3% of people um, don't really experience anything. And, and from my perspective, I'm, I'm kind of lucky because, you know, this isn't like I went back in the lab and created this and I'm trying to save the world. And if somebody tells me it didn't work, I'm just devastated. Right. That's not this scenario. In fact, I think most people become supplement people one of two ways. They decide that they want to be wealthy and they decide they're going to do it with supplements. And I have no problem with being people being wealthy. It's just not how I ended up here. The other is they have a physical problem, right? A physical challenge with them or themselves or a loved one. And then they solve it with supplementation. And now they want to save the world. And hopefully it doesn't surprise you. I'm not against people saving the world. It's just not how I ended up here. Like in 1991, I started manufacturing this molecule. In 2012, they do this crazy, it's supposed to be toxicity study. Uh, and the result is, is longevity and 90% extension of life. And then now I'm kind of thrust into this market. Now, very so, lucky. So back in 91, when you started producing it, what was the market you were producing it for? Did I miss that part? Was, it, was just it research. So, so interesting like this molecule not surprising that it won the nobel prize in 96 because in 1991 same year we started the company um there's a there's a, a an aggregating service that looks at what are the most referenced research papers across all research all 10 of the most researched referenced papers in 1991 were related to either buckyballs or its sister molecules fullerenes in general so all 10. So the, like this was a viral scientific community event um, around, well, really like from the Discovery 85 all the way through through 96. So we were selling to those research institutions. In fact, one of our jokes internally when people would ask us, hey, what's this good for? Well, it's good for funding. If you write a proposal about fullerenes or carbon 60, uh, you were very likely to get funded because it was such an exciting thing at the time. And we sold to research institutions around the world from 1991, really like mid 2013, we started to have more of a consumer, right? That's when we started selling it so you could recreate the rat study. Um, what's unique about that as a supplement company from 1991, really, really until 2017, everyone we sold our materials to had the ability to test our materials, right? So if we sold them a gram of ESS-60 or a gram of industrial carbon-60, the first thing they would do is they'd give it to a research associate, they'd give it to a grad student, they'd take it back to their HPLC and they'd test our material. And if we didn't provide them good material, then there was a problem, right? You get into, um, after, after the 2012 release of the 2012 uh, result, toxicity result, 
um, people start hopping into this industry and just throwing industrial C60 into oil and selling it. Those companies have never had to sell to a customer who can actually test their product. Like I, I find it's really interesting. You go onto Amazon and you look at supplements and there's ratings, right? What does a five-star rating on vitamin C mean? On Amazon, nothing. Yeah, especially, right? like, especially when you can pay people to leave reviews. Also, right? Yeah. But the one thing we know it doesn't mean is that they took it into a, they either sent it to a lab or they took it to their own HPLC in their garage and tested it and confirmed that it's, you know, vitamin C. Like that's the one thing that we know didn't happen. So these ratings on, and I kind of, you know, we're, we're on Amazon because we need the presence there, uh, but it's disappointing to see uh, in the C60 space, us losing some traction to people who we've actually tested their product. It's not, it's not good. Like it's, it doesn't have the concentration that they say they have in it, which is, you know, it's the, that's the whole reason we didn't want to get into supplementation. Well, the I mean, we, we ran into this years ago where, um, you know, like I only felt comfortable recommending supplements from companies that I knew did some form of testing associated with it. It was done in batches like, um, you know, Thorn or uh, who was, you know, a few of the others that Dr. Tom had used over the years. So my doctor buddy out in Arizona, who's big into supplements in my background, I played in the NFL and would go see my, uh, like my doc twice a year. And he would analyze my blood and kind of do some micronutrient testing and figure out like, Hey, these are some supplement strategies to help you optimize. And uh, I would only take stuff that he recommended because I knew it had been tested. And yep. It's pretty interesting when we started making some like supplement recommendations based off of that. People went out and they were using Amazon trying to, well, let me build a cheaper version of what you're recommending. And then people are like, I'm not getting any results from this. And I'd be like, oh, well, what supplements are you using? Oh, I was able to buy it for, you know, 10 bucks instead of 20 or instead of 50 bucks on Amazon with all this hacked up stuff. And I'm like, you don't know what's the quality in that. Like, um, you know, uh, uh, I remember looking at a study where they were using whey protein from China and the heavy metal content was high enough to fucking kill somebody, yeah. you know, and it's like, OK, well, yeah, it's whey protein. You're buying it from from China. But look at the heavy metals. Look what's in it. I mean, is it really the most nutrient dense best that you can? And uh, but it's fucking whey protein. It's on Amazon. Yeah. And, it, and it's got five stars ratings like yeah. it's got three hundred five star ratings. So, it, you know, it must be good. And again, what we know is they didn't take that whey protein, send it to a lab and then go, oh, it's five star. Like that's that's the misconception that I think people have going on onto Amazon. I read one article kind of as we were investigating, getting into this industry and the article is like 50 percent of supplements that are on the market don't have in them what they say they have in them. Right now. That could be, you know, you could be hypercritical and say, oh, it says it has one gram per tablet and it's really like 0.999 grams, right? Um, but that was one of the things that article and it was peer reviewed published research was one of the things that I was like, I don't know if I want to be in this industry. And then sure enough, kind of in the C60 space pretty quickly, actually, I don't believe in negative advertising. I think that brings the whole industry down. But I did a video on one guy because he literally has no C60 in it. It's like a, it's a sunflower seed oil and it's black, right? It just, which is not what you, if you put C60 uh, into sunflower seed oil, it actually turns purple. Uh, this is black. So it's some sort of soot that he's making um, and potentially dangerous. And so I, I was comfortable doing a video because I didn't like, I'm not doing negative uh, advertising on my industry. He's not even in my industry. He's just claiming to be in my industry. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and it, yeah. And so you, you see that we took 22 of the brands that are out there. Uh, they're low in concentration. It's, it's just, you know, have, have you guys uh, entered into like uh, any, I mean, you obviously said that the, the molecule is, you know, there's researched, but I'm wondering about any peer, uh, peer reviewed kind of double blind studies where you've, you know, university backed, brought in people and, you know, given them placebo, obviously olive oil versus this product and then, you know, tested them in various ways. We're, we're working on that. So, so kind of broad view, scientific process, have a, have a hypothesis. In this case, the hypothesis was that it was toxic get a result. Okay, not toxic, 98% extension of life. That was published in 2012 and nobody stepped up to the plate to actually redo that. Mm -hmm. So we've actually already pulled the trigger and are doing the first kind of entry, the, the, the facility that we're working with, we're doing the first entry uh, test that we need to do to recreate that study. So that's, that's one study. Um, we have one, and, and we're going to move these things into double blind studies in so much as we can afford it. Like that's one of the obvious things. It's a challenge to afford. Um, but we'll move them in like this sleep study. If we get the opportunity, we'll move that into peer reviewed, published, you know, double blind study. Uh, we're doing one other test. A, a doctor in, in Tampa, Florida called me uh, beginning of last year. I was like, hey, I'm going to run a couple patients through this protocol. And we're going to do this DNA age test. And I really didn't kind of pay attention, but he called, um, I think it was in October of last year and, and shared with me, hey, two people went through it. They were actually kind of on the David Sinclair. So they were taking NMN, they were taking resveratrol and they were taking my vital C. Uh, they did this DNA age test. I don't know if you guys know much yeah. about the accuracy of these tests. Yeah. It, what it, is it? The, uh, God, is it the follicles that they look at or there, the telomeres? There, yeah, they're looking at telomere. It's not, it's, they're looking at methylation. That's right. Um, and so I was digging into this and trying to understand it. And, and, and the original test that he did, he, he gave them the DNA age test. And then six months later, while doing the protocol, I gave him the test again. And apparently what most people are hoping for is that you only age five months from a you know methylation standpoint in those six months. What happened and the result that they got was uh, those those ladies actually one reverted in age by like 1.6, something close to that years. And the other one was like 2.8 years. Uh, and so he called me, he's all excited. And we're like, yeah, we want to support the study. He wanted to change. He wanted to change from DNA age to true age, which is by true diagnostics. That's the company. Um, and like, Hey, you're make, you're changing some variables. Let's go ahead and run a four person test. Like let's kind of ease into this cause it's expensive. Um, and so that actually, that result should be out soon. Um, he's probably already drawn the blood and sent it off to, uh, to true age. So we're, we're just waiting on the result. Well, the, uh, uh, whenever I've looked at any of that stuff, um, you know, uh, and we were talking a little bit earlier about fasting and autophagy and clearing of metabolic garbage, uh, it's always hilarious when you look at the studies, the greatest result for autophagy comes from exercise. So mm. it's like exercise is by far the fountain of youth and consistent exercise, building an aerobic base, making sure you're getting, you know, max motor unit recruitment, lifting some weights and, you know, maybe being able to go long, go hard, go short, go long. I mean, you know, this kind of varied deal. But the people that when I read, because this was some Ben Greenfield hacky stuff, but the people that had, uh, I think it was the greatest telomere length were the people that consistently ate or uh, exercised the most. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some really interesting things where if this product is actually kind of, and I hate to say the term anti-inflammatory, but if like, if it reduces inflammation and makes people feel better, 
then theoretically they should be able to go out and train at a higher level pain-free. Yeah, I, it, that that is like testimonials that we're getting. And, and, and to kind of continue on on my testimonials, um, one of them is I'm I am a geeky scientist. I used to get migraines. Uh, I I have a spreadsheet back to 2014 tracking my I was trying to figure out like what was causing my migraines, you know, an excessive workout, a, a late night, whatever. Um, and I used to get four or five migraines a year from 2014. When I started taking the my vital C on a regular basis in 2018, I didn't get a single migraine. Uh, and you couple that with my wife. I always remember she used to get nine plus, and I remember the number nine because they they would prescribe her a medication, but they would only give her nine per month. So any migraine after the ninth, she just had to muscle through. Um, and she went when she it took me a while. I finally convinced her to try the product. Um, uh, she, yeah, well, yeah, she's your wife. Therefore, nothing yeah. that you're working on can be of value. Exactly. I, I know nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I accept that. That's all right. Like, that's it's just called, how it is. It's actually called proximity bias. Uh, this is a yeah. real deal where the closer you are to somebody, uh, the less of an expert they are. That's why you can't give your parents advice. That's why nobody in your family will ever believe you. And, you know, even people in your own town. But yet you go 3,000 miles away and you're a fucking genius. Yeah. Yeah, I worked with a pediatrician once and he said he had an arrangement with another pediatrician that he couldn't talk to his his own wife about their children, you know, and the medical state of their children. They had to like cross reference because because of the proximity virus, that guy over there bias, that guy over there, that pediatrician, that's your friend actually knows stuff and you don't. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. So I finally got her to take it. Uh, and she's down to one migraine like w- once a month or once every other month. Did you ever figure out a, a mechanism? It's kind of interesting that both you and your wife uh, both got migraines. I've never had a migraine. I don't think you've ever had a migraine. Um, my mom had a lot. So I don't know if if I should anticipate that when I get older. I don't know. But it, yeah, no. I, yeah, I don't know. I, don't I have no idea know. what it feels like. Maybe I had one. Maybe uh, I didn't. I, I knew somebody that had a migraine once and they threw up and they, were, they looked oh, pretty yeah, fucked no. up. Like it was a bad deal. Yeah, my, my first one was the worst. And what migraines became to me is I would see like these little stars, like, you know, kaleidoscope light. Um, and then that would go away and I would just have it would just be painful. Like it was just it was just painful. It didn't take me out of commission, uh, but there was probably 20 minutes where I couldn't I couldn't read because I couldn't focus on the thing in front of me. Um, and then that would go away and then I could, you know, I could survive and maybe I'd take, well, really I'd, now I'll just take, if I were to get one, I would take more of my product. Cause I don't know if you know this olive oil on its own is actually a good anti-inflammatory and a good, um, pain reliever, like three tablespoons is the equivalent of a, a of a Tylenol dose. Well, if, uh, if you go that. look at the research on olive oil, there's direct, I mean, this is, you know, peer reviewed research. I remember Dr. Tom sent me this years ago that like greater feeling of wellness and better, you know, you talked about blue zones. I mean, olive oil and especially monounsaturated fats, you know, are a key player in that. So, uh, you know, we always recommend that if somebody's going to consume fat, it makes a saturated and monounsaturated fat, you know, from obviously saturated from coconut oil, but, you know, also some animal products, but monounsaturated fat being ideal from olive oil. Is yeah, there, yeah. is there an effective dose? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, like, I know it's packeted, uh, you know, um, I, I've seen text crushing them, um, but I, I didn't know if there was like, you know, one a day, two a day. Is it, is it based on weight? Is it based on age? Like, how do you necessarily like what's the effective dose? So so I basically took the the original kind of dosage in that initial study, did an allometric calculation, which is basically 
We understand that. A rat that. weighs four pounds, and a human yep. weighs 180. Man weighs 200. <laughs> yeah. You're going to need. Yeah. No. Well, if you did just that, it's actually a full cup. Like oh. one, it's, it's literally Dude. a full cup. Uh, and and the al- <laughs> what the allometric calculation does is take into account. Uh, I'm super geeky, so this is really cool. Uh, takes into account the metabolism. Yeah. And it turns out a good way to take into account metabolism is to take the surface area of the animal. So basically, they take surface areas of the of rats compared to in general surface area of humans, and then that allows them to figure out like what is the dose. And and you know they do this all the time because you your initial studies on drugs are in rats, and then when you take them to user humans, you know you've got to account for that that um, metabolism difference. Well, and, and so a lot I of did, times when you look at those studies, the amounts that they use in the rats is so far exceeding. Like I remember seeing. Uh, uh, like it was the aspartame study where they were using rats and it was like the equivalent of drinking 4,000 sodas a day was the volume mm-hmm. that they were giving them. Uh, you know, the, uh, yeah. So it's pretty interesting. Like when you see those rat studies, you always have to go back and look at like, well, how much were they giving them? And then how does that extrapolate into like practicality into our world? And then you're like, oh, okay, well, nobody's going to drink 4,000 of these, but that's how they have to run the studies. Yeah. And, 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 and in reality, I mean, we need to be doing some dosing studies, um, like again, that's, that's like, you get into the nuances of, okay, well, is it one mil? Is it five mils? Is it one mil twice a day? Like there's a lot of variables. I, I don't know. I just read about the Johnson and Johnson, uh, um, COVID vaccine and it's got a 66% eff- efficacy, but it's just a single shot. And I, and I'm like, well, this like, I feel like the Moderna one's 50% after the first shot. And then it gets to 95. Maybe you should just take another shot of the Johnson and Johnson. Like these things are really complex issues to, to ultimately resolve. Well, and the other one, and especially on that COVID one, I was reading about it actually yesterday. Um, they had 48,000 data points that they calculated in less than a month. And then they put it out before FDA approval. And as you know, working through, you know, data points, especially within doing studies to analyze 48,000 individuals for a month. I mean, that feels extremely rushed and not, I would say, as detailed as I would like. And also, what's the long-term ramifications? I mean, to be able to track people for a month on something like this when we've never been able to develop a vaccine for the coronavirus? So. Yeah, no, they, they, I'm a, I, I am a little nervous about how quickly this has happened. I'm also, as a scientist, kind of excited, and, and I would take it, uh, and, and my brother's in line to take it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a little like, uh, this is, I mean, also the, this, this new MRNA kind of style of, of vaccine where you're like, Hey, let's get the body to produce something that the body can fight. That, that, that sounds like that statement should end with, well, what could go wrong? <laughs> and it feels like, you know, a lot could go wrong. Potentially. Yeah, no. I don't want to dissuade anyone, but it yeah. is a new, new technology. Well, um, um, some, somebody asked me about it and I was like, I'm, I, I am not at a high risk. Uh, if somebody was an elderly patient or somebody was metabolically broken or you had some issues or you were a frontline worker and in some situation, I think that it's, that's a, a wise decision. But for us, I mean, well, you know, we kind of, I mean, like yeah. we, uh, other than sitting at this table, social distance, like my, you know, like, like the environment we're in is one that's, you know, based on health and conducive. And, you know, I know I've personally been exposed about 10 times. I've been tested yeah. for come back negative, no antibodies. And for the most part, uh, you know, 
make sure I get tested and vitamin D levels are high and supplement and all this other stuff. And it's just kind of, you know, and I wash my hands, which is always a big one, which is pretty amazing. We're not hearing about anybody getting uh, flu this year. And I think it's because people are washing their hands. Yep. So, and isolating, right? So yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, I think flu in general is not as communicable as COVID and certainly not the newer strains. And so you're, you're already protecting against a more virulent, uh, um, strain of virus and that those protections help you with the flu. What's kind of amazing is, uh, you know, they were so quick to rush into a vaccine. And I understand that there was this kind of idea like we have to have a way to fight this. But I always thought that, like, how come there wasn't more emphasis putting on finding effective treatments or, you know, hey, let's analyze substances that we've had around that might potentially fight this. Like, I always thought it was interesting. Trump gets it. And then they were like, oh, this experimental cocktail. So I look up the cocktail and it was like a mix of like dexamethasone, which is, a, you know, and in every single training room in America as a, uh, you know, liquid um, uh, corticosteroid and zinc. And they were going through this stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute, none of this is experimental. It's experimental because he's using it in that way. And I just yeah. think that that was kind of weird that they were so quick to run to a vaccine when we might have potentially looked at some other ways to treat it. Well, and I think we also like the, the data on deaths due to COVID drop, you know, was dropping even as uh, as the as the infection rate was increasing. So they were, you know, things that mistake, frankly, mistakes that they made in the beginning. They were they were learning from them. And, you well, know, I mean, the like, frontline doctors are pretty sharp. Like, yeah. uh, you know, you bring those guys in. I mean, there's some really intelligent individuals on those front lines. All of a sudden, they're, you know, they're making mistakes. I mean, we figured out pretty quick that it wasn't a respiratory and that people went on respirators were having heart attacks and strokes. And when they stopped using the respirators, all of a sudden now here's a, you know, an issue. And those doctors stopped making, making those mistakes and started you know, making modifications. And next, no, or next thing you know, they start saving people because they're not making the same mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, that, I, I, don't, I, I certainly don't blame them. Like you're in this situation where you've got a, a mass of patients with the same thing you've never seen before. Um, yeah, it, it, I, like kudos to them for being on the front lines and being in, in harm's way. Yeah, no, I uh, do. Those guys were, you know, out there kicking ass, and I appreciate hearing the stories of like, hey, these are the uh, these are the ways we were treating it, and we started winning the war on this thing, and they weren't necessarily waiting around for research or somebody to come help them. And uh, those guys got to be commended. No, but I'm I'm with you. Uh, I'm not uh, by any means anti, but I'm also cautious enough to be like, hey, you know what? Like, there's a lot of information we don't know, and to rush into something without a good informed decision just isn't intelligent. So it's kind of a I mean, at least for me, and, and I, uh, people ask me, and I'm like, ah, like I'm kind of a moot point. Like there's people that need it a lot more than us. Let them get it and yeah. hopefully saves them. Like if I got it, ah, I'll be okay. Yeah. My dad just got it yesterday. So oh, he did, did he? the two, shot one. He's in Houston. So I'll be uh, checking in daily. <laughs> well, Hank, yeah, that deal with Hank Aaron where they were trying to uh, yeah. uh, like uh, – because they were saying that the black community was more distrusting and wasn't getting vaccinated at the same rate. So down in Atlanta, they brought some, you know, local sports heroes in to, you know, on the news and to give vaccinations and to kind of, you know, show people it's okay. And then Hank Aaron dies like eight days later. I'm like, Oh God, you know, pass away. He's in a sleep. And I'm like, he was 86. He lived a great life. Like this probably isn't real good for the vaccine, but you know, Hey, we're in, I mean, this is what we've been dealt. Um, Yeah. Unfortunate event, man. So um, when you were, so, 
the uh, the the dose in each one, like you know, as it comes prepackaged, that that dose is the same dose extrapolated out that that was done in the rat studies back. Yeah, so that's uh, and and I and I really because the rat in the rat study they started with a much higher dose, um, and then they well actually a more frequent dose, and then they went to a less frequent dose, and then even a rat even a less frequent dose. So they like started daily went to um, weekly and then went to bi-weekly. Interesting in, in that original rat study, and this will be something that we do differently, they never gave the rats any dose until month 10, and then they stopped at month 17. So, so they didn't continue through the rest of their life. Like even though the last dose was at month 17, all of the control rats were dead by month 32, the rats given my vital C lived out to month 62. So very interesting things. There's still, you know, lots to know what, what might've happened had they been continued to give the, the dosing through the rest of their life. What do you think the mechanism there was? Um, well, I, I don't know, and, and we talked about olive oil, so I want to share this before going to get back into that, is that the, the group given olive oil actually lived 30% longer in this particular study. Wow. Uh, so where are you guys sourcing your olive oil from? So we'll, we source it from a couple of places. Um, we tend to go to like small batch uh, out of Tunisia uh, so that we can get, you know, of course, it's extra virgin olive oil, uh, cold pressed and organic. Um our facility isn't labeled organic yet, so we don't have like the USDA organic on the bottles, but the only thing that would be relevant to that is an organic product that goes into our product. Um, uh, and yeah, so that out of Tunisia. Okay. Um, so, so those, I always kind of share with people, listen, if you're taking any amount of olive oil, that study says you should be taking more. Like that's probably <laughs> a good thing to do. <laughs> well, it, yeah, that, that's kind of an, just an interesting one. When you look at like people's diets, especially westernized diet, they're usually pretty low in monounsaturated fats. And, you know, those have been shown to, you know, uh, lower the, you know, bad cholesterol and raise the good cholesterol pretty, you know, pretty one-to-one. I mean, that's, that's not mythology at this point. I mean, everybody understands that piece. So I don't know if you, uh, if you know of, uh, Dr. Gundry, he's written a book, uh, plant paradox, longevity paradox. Um, and what he says is the purpose of food is to get more olive oil into your mouth. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I also like his phrase, uh, I want you to die young at a very old age. <laughs> yeah. You right. Know, uh, I, I had this conversation recently with someone where I was, they, they asked her like, Hey, would you want to live to be, uh, what, what do they say? Like, would you, would you want to live to be like 150 years old or would you want to live to be 75 years old as if you were 25? So you could be 25 for 75 years, but then all of a sudden it would end. And I was like, I'll take 25 for 75 more so than live out to about 150 years. I mean, the only people that looked like they were doing okay at 200 years were in the Bible. Yeah. Well, and, and so you're that point, like I have this conversation about this test results, 90% extension. Uh, if that applies to humans, that means our average lifespan would be 152. Um, and people are like, well, why would you want to live longer? I've always been a guy who's wanted to live longer. 
But when I rephrase it, reframe it, and I say, listen, if you uh, had the same physical capacity and the same mental capacity that you do today, uh, would you be interested in living longer then? And like, okay, it's not universal. There are still people who probably need to, you know, do some soul searching. Uh, but most people will transition from, oh, I don't want to live longer to, well, yeah, if I can have the, if I can have my health, um, then, then I would like to live longer. And I always like to joke there were no notes in that 2012, it was done out of Paris, Paris rat study, where those rats that were living to 62 months were walking around with, you know, little rat walkers and dragging little oxygen tanks, right? They, they lived healthy rat lives for 90% longer than, you know, those rats given uh, water. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Dr. Michael Rose? Um, who, I'm not. Uh, he's an um, evolutionary biologist out of UC Irvine. Uh, you know, when they look at evolutionary biology, it's really broken into two parts. It's like pre and post Michael Rose. And um, I got a chance to hear him speak a few times. He's got a bunch of stuff on life, you know, uh, how to live longer, life extension and all this. And uh, he made a, he did a really pretty fascinating study on fruit flies where yeah. he went out and, uh, you know, they went to some orchard in Maine and got fruit flies that had been there for hundreds of years and brought them back into his lab. And a fruit fly lives about seven days, took those, those batch of fruit flies and kept them on, you know, uh, apples or, you know, some ancestral diet to them and then took their next generation and brought them over and put them on a mixed diet. I think it was like a bananas and apples, took another generation and just put them on something that they'd never been exposed to like bananas and then tracked their, uh, health. And he basically set this whole model up of like, you know, how much they, you know, reproduce and how, how they fly and basically track their health over seven days. And the, uh, you know, they all saw a decline at about four days, which would be, you know, they, they, I think they extrapolate one day for every decade for us. So at about 40 mm -hmm. years old and the fruit flies that continued to eat their ancestral diet ended up not declining as much, whereas the other ones tanked. And he gave this talk at, I think it was AHS ancestral health symposium in like 2011. And he's got a bunch of talks on YouTube. But it was pretty interesting, and in what he extrapolated out of this was that as people age, when they hit about 40, they have to return to their ancestral diet to continue to hold longevity. So he's given this talk, and it was pretty interesting because he was talking about research and this, and he, he like referenced a date that he, he like, I want to say, graduated, got his PhD in like the late 50s. And I'm like, how old is this dude? So I get on, I look, and he's in his mid-60s. I thought he was in his 40s maybe yeah. his 40s or 50s, like he looked great. That alone was by far the best selling point for his talk. I mean, the, uh, I bought his book and, and I really dove in and it was pretty interesting. Like, and I think at the time he was talking um, more of like a paleo, like kind of a paleo diet, like, hey, this is our ancestral diet. This is how we've eaten through you know, evolution uh, to return to this. And that's where you get people who are like, I used to be able to eat anything. And then all of a sudden at 40, I couldn't eat those foods anymore. And all of a sudden I got fat and deteriorated. And uh, it's pretty interesting where, you know, we get a, a lot of times people are like, well, I could eat all this food and have no problems and I haven't had this. And I'm like, not, not yet. But at some point, everybody has to return to the ancestral diet. So maybe there's a component of that. Yeah, I, well, I think that's true. Like, I think it just makes sense that like those fruit flies evolved uh, with a particular diet and we as humans evolved with a, with a particular diet. And that diet may even, even be different, you know, different and different regions of the world, right? So wherever your kind of genetic ancestry is from, uh, that diet would probably be different. You know, one of Dr. Gundry talks about <clears throat> fruit and that fruit in a, what the fruit, the access we have to fruit right now is unnatural. 
right? Yeah. Because you have access 24 uh, seven. But the reality is there are some places, you know, in, in the near the equator that have access to fruit 24 seven. So those those people probably evolved to be able to eat fruit on a regular basis where kind of his argument is fruit used to be the signal that winter was coming and you should probably put on fat because you might die of starvation. Sure. And then it was also, you know, in the spring, hey, you survived the winter, good job. You probably want to put on some fat because you probably almost starved. So fructose is that sign to actually put on fat. Um, and well, so he's not against fruit. He's just like, take fruit in when it's in season for it really it probably should be more specifically for your genetics um not just your local area yeah i mean it, it, like there's man there there's such a case to be made for that especially looking at like hey like where did my family come from uh when we did all of our genetic stuff like most of my family came from like denmark and that part of like northern europe and there's a very real ancestral diet associated with that and I think, uh, you know, when you start looking at, you know, and um, I've been pretty jiggy in terms of doing like gut biome and especially food allergy tests. And it tends to be the foods that you eat with the greatest frequency are the ones you develop problems with. So understanding mm-hmm. diversity. And it really just pays into that. Like you wouldn't have access to the same things all year round. And yep. because of that, you know, you have to vary the diet. But unfortunately, as you know, uh, and I'm sure Texas does too, it's just easier to eat the same fucking thing every day. I don't yeah. have to think about it. It's like the, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Albert Einstein Mexican. had the exact same outfit, like 10 of them, and just got up and wore, and they were like, he wears the same clothes. He's like, no, I just don't want to think about what I'm wearing. You know, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg wears the, you know, probably the same outfit. I mean, his robot does at least. Um, <laughs> his, his life form. Dude, when that guy was at those uh, uh, congressional hearings, I'm like, this isn't, this isn't him. This is Cyborg. He's sitting at home or on a beach in Hawaii laughing that his Cyborg is over there, uh, you know, because the dude didn't blink. Like, it was crazy. Clones, dude. Yeah, dude, I am not a conspiracy theorist. but yes, if you, you are. Yeah, no, I'm not. That's you, how it leads off. Chris, I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> but if you told me that Zuckerberg had, like, a clone or a robot, I'd be like, ah, I get it. Chris, have, that you, explains seen, it. have yeah. you seen the movie The Sixth Day starring Arnold Schwarzenegger? I don't think I have seen that one, no. Sleeper. Oh, it's bad, so the, but the, it's so good. The sixth day. This isn't uh, day uh, end of days. So he had two movies with days in the title. And yes, both about basically the same thing. The end of the world. Yes. Yeah. So six day. Note it if just is, you want to kill our, some time. Is this our Friday movie review? Yes, we're gonna <laughs> add it in there. Okay. Uh, it's as a scientist, Chris, you're gonna be offended, but I'm telling you right now, it's awesome. So, Chris, like, what the, what's your background? What's your CB? So I started uh, when I was when I met my business partner, I was at the University of Houston studying mechanical engineering. Uh, I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, and I, I don't like I just from probably 14, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, so I studied mechanical engineering so that I could have the fastest way to the highest salary so that I could have money to build, you know, to start a company. Uh, when I was at the University of Houston, I met my business partner, Robert. He was actually working uh, at the University of Houston. There's a, a center called the Texas Center for Superconductivity and a very famous in the superconductivity world, Dr. Paul Chu. He was actually separating the fullerene. So C60 from C70, that's the next most abundant, et cetera. Uh, he was separating him, those so that they could do superconductivity research on them. One day, Dr. Paul Chu came in and was like, hey, Robert, you guys are young. This material, by the way, this C60 molecule was selling for $6,000 a gram at the time. So 
that's a lot. <laughs> and my business partner is from an entrepreneurial background and was like, yeah, let's, let's go. So he started, started the process of building the equipment in order to actually manufacture these. You have to vaporize graphite. So you can imagine two graphite rods and you're vaporizing graphite, one of the hardest materials on the planet to vaporize. So you've got really high temperatures and they brought me in as the mechanical engineer to help separate all these materials. Um, and, and that was like, we sold our first material in 1991. Wow. So what was the, uh, what was the catalyst for the toxicity study, uh, study years later? Well, so if you think about, okay, in 91, 10 of the most referenced papers were about fullerenes, right? So there's mm -hmm. obviously clear excitement about the capabilities of this material. 96, they win the Nobel Prize. For all intents and purposes, like this was already supposed to be a ubiquitous material used in tires and batteries and solar cells. Uh, and when you have a material that's going to be ubiquitous, we got to work with it and you need to understand if it's going to be toxic. So um, a lot of the shapes on the exterior are the same as benzene. Benzene is unbelievably important for modern society. If you just look around you and spot anything that's plastic, does not exist without the benzene ring. Most medicines and detergents are made with the benzene ring, but benzene on its own is actually toxic. So that's why they kind of assumed it would be toxic. Lots of people would be working with it. You've got to do these toxicity studies. So that's why they did that study that ultimately turned into, you know, the longest longevity result. So this, here's one other interesting thing about that study. So Wistar rats typically die at 32 months and they have a known amount of tumors. So every day they live, their tumor mass increases and you have a known amount of tumors at 32 months. Even though the My Vital C rats live 90% longer, none of them died with any tumors. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, anti-cancer. And the answer to that is no, like no. Um, there's a huge difference between being a cancer preventative and then also being able to fight cancer once it's metastasized. Sure. Well, uh, I mean, we know uh, a lot. that's like free radicals within the system. I mean, you know, we have cells that, I mean, like uh, we have cancer cells that die daily, uh, you yeah. know, and it's like, you know, cells grow, cells die, new cells come in and we have this whole, uh, you know, autophagy metabolic clearing deal. But uh, the cells that should die, that continue to grow, become cancerous and then our immune system fights them. Sometimes they, you know, work through and whether or not you care about systemic inflammation, you know, I've, I've heard it explained once that... Um, uh, systemic inflammation is like background noise to where your cells can no longer communicate and your immune system can't figure out necessarily who to get rid of and who to keep. And, uh, yep. you know, that disruptive factor. So I wonder if there's uh, something where it's, you know, reducing inflammation, allowing the immune system to do what it's supposed to do, which is fight and kill off potential threats to your system. Well, there's, there's a lot of things that something that was an anti-inflammatory and an antioxidant, you know, one of the thought processes about aging is that it's oxidation and inflammation. Sure. And so something that had those character, those positive characteristics um, would make sense that it, you might live 90% longer with something like that. Well, the other key factor we found is, um, you know, fat is extremely oxidative. So as we get older and people start gaining more body fat and aren't in as good a shape and start, you know, losing metabolic flexibility, all of a sudden that oxidative fat becomes much more, you know, uh, much more problematic. So maybe there's some issues. Yeah. So, I mean, there's probably a lot of mechanisms here at work, uh, but sounds like you need a whole bunch of research dollars to go in and really pinpoint it. And, and, and I'm, we're committed. Like that's why we're already doing the sleep study. That's why we're already doing uh, uh, the, the DNA supporting the DNA age study. 
uh, and then moving those rats towards doing another longevity study. But right. you said you've been taking it for a while, right? What, have you noticed anything? Well, I faced some, uh, I suppose, some challenges. We, we had travel and then... I have not taken it, even though I have it sitting on my counter. And I was actually waiting for this podcast because yeah. I know I've seen Chris taking it. And uh, for us, we like to do our own kind of double blind where uh, I see him taking it. I don't ask him any questions. We come on this and then I'll start taking it and we'll see how it works. Yeah, and then face some, I guess, social stresses that I had to. Why? What's going on? What's going on? I don't want to get into it Why? now. This is the place but for it. This is the podcast. This is a, <laughs> nobody listens to this. This is just our oh, safe zone. Movie reviews and therapy. <laughs> the, our cathartic hey, therapy. Dude, uh, it's that. just it's just John and Chris, old buddies. He's but, got a yeah. lab coat. But I was able to navigate it and be the 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 cooler head in the situation and provide some direction. May I attribute that to my use of my vital C, maybe. Sleep's been well. And what, what I do appreciate within one of the, the packages, the, the small, the month, you provide a results tracking opportunity. Why I appreciate this is it encourages a, a range of behavior change. Now, since it's not just taking said supplement, you're asking your user to track their sleep. You're mm -hmm. asking your user to be cognizant of energy levels, which could be connected to their, their fitness and their, their training, however you describe it, and overall well-being and mental focus. So you're asking your person to be more interoceptive to then provide that feedback. So it's almost, it's like a, a step counter on our, our watch or the aura ring, keeping track of our movement or our sleep. That's that's reinforcing good behavior. Have you noticed any, uh, you know, I know you, I've, I've seen you take it in the morning, but have you noticed, uh, like, is there a better time to take it first thing in the morning before bed, or is it just whenever you can get it in? So I, what I can answer is some of our customers say uh, that if they take it later in the day, they uh, it can keep them up. That is not true for me, but I'm also the guy who can drink a cup of coffee and go right to sleep. So I might not be that best example, right? Me too, um, dude. I could pound like a six shot Americano and go put my head on the pillow and fall instantly asleep. Caffeine does absolutely nothing for me. Yeah, yeah. But I love I, drinking and, coffee. <laughs> me too, right? And and actually, it's part, you know, taking my Vital C is part of my coffee routine every day. Uh, and, and it's actually when I made it part of my routine that I made, made it more consistent. I mean, one of the reasons we made that calendar chart um, is because some of our customers, well, first, our customers started before we had the ability to do subscriptions. Our customers were clamoring saying, hey, I keep forgetting to order it once a month. Like, can you hurry up and do subscriptions? Like with no benefit, like no discount or anything. And we've, we, we do have a discount now, but that our customers drove that. And then we get customers who are on subscription like, hey, I need to cancel. You know, I've backed up a bottle, which I get. But we were making that chart to kind of, hey, one, if you're keeping track of it, because a lot of people are just not kind of aware, like not aware of what they might experience and not aware of, and especially when it comes to sleep, right? We all get like 30 minutes, maybe up to two hours plus or minus sleep a night, like I, at least I do. Um, and so if, if you start taking my vital C today and you're getting 30 minutes extra every single night, or it feels deeper, how much are you going to notice that? Right. If you're not really keeping track of it. So that's, or, that's or unless you're using a sleep tracker where you're using something like the aura ring or, yeah. uh, you know, I know there's some apps, uh, I have a Garmin watch that I wear, but I don't, 
I'm also weird about uh, technology when I sleep. Like, I don't want a phone. I don't want any technology in my room. Um, you know, and I think smart. that was, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Matt's Matthew book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Dr. Matt's book talked about the absence of technology, uh, you know, but like, you know, then, but, but then you just kind of freak out and you're like, well, there's Wi-Fi streaming around my, okay, I can't worry about all this, you know? Yeah, I know people who turn off their Wi-Fi uh, and actually stayed at their house. They're like, can I turn off the Wi-Fi now? I'm like, okay, like. I'm I'm not that concerned about it, but you know I know, understand that some people are. Well, I mean, there's people that are pretty convinced that COVID is a result of 5G. So remember, we had uh, Rob Wolf on that podcast. Oh, uh, like, so we, uh, our, our good friend Rob Wolf, we uh, when they whole you know COVID deal was hitting, people were like, "Oh, it's 5G, it's the towers," and people were out burning towers. And so uh, Rob did like. You know, research scientists got in, dug into the research and uh, put out a pretty good one. And then also came and did a podcast on like, if you're buying into this narrative, you're absolutely insane. Like, here's the information. These aren't related. So it's uh, it's pretty interesting with the conspiracy theorists and uh, all that stuff piggybacked off uh, that wacky QAnon stuff. The, the reality is, is you can you can write. And in, in fact, that, that one video that I did of the guy who sells sunflower seed with black carbon junk in it, um, he's written three or four very well written scientific papers that sound like they prove he has C60 in it. But if you know what you're reading, prove that he doesn't. And so like, it's easy to put together, you know, to manipulate data and like convince people like, you know, vaccines are bad and, in general. Right. And, uh, and, and these towers are causing this, like people are interested in believing and they're kind of grasping for an explanation that is more tangible than that's just how life is. Well, uh, I've always said that it's actually more comforting to believe that there's some nefarious plot going on with some James Bond like villain behind the curtain, you know, pulling all the strings than it is to adhere to the truth, which is it's probably Occam's razor, which is a whole bunch of people that don't know what the fuck they're doing, just pretending like they are and just trying to like put their fingers in enough dikes so everything doesn't explode. Chris, um, what are some tips that people can try to identify supplement frauds, no matter the product they're looking at? Um, so, so okay. So in, in my industry, um, I'm just trying to think of the tips. Well, well, what we've done is really created this demarcation of safer for human consumption, ESS-60. So if you're out there purchasing ESS-60, then you're purchasing something uh, that's going to be of a high quality uh, and and so high quality C60 that's been processed. And usually we're only allowing people to use that name uh, who kind of meet our guidelines, right? So do um, you own the patent on this? We own the trademark on ESS60. Gotcha. Yeah. So so that that gives us some control. And, and we're, again, we've got a lab, we're testing. Uh, we don't test. I, I think part of the reason that the concentrations of C60 and those other products is so low is they're following the protocol, they're not testing the result, right? The protocol from the original Paris rat study was mix it for two weeks. What we found is as you went to larger volumes, you actually needed to mix longer. The fluid dynamics are such that you don't get as much disruption of the powder floating in the oil. Uh, and so it actually takes longer to, to mix. The other thing that we do is we actually, because it's taking longer and you've got a pretty strong vortex, you don't want oxygen being you know folded into the oil uh, so we've got a, a nitrogen buffer gas that actually prevents that. So that's a nice neutral gas. Um, so I think most of those people are just doing those two weeks and then like, oh, two weeks, it must be the right concentration. 
uh, and it goes out and, and, and it's the right concentration. I think in general, I, I can share a story with you because um, David Sinclair is very clear. He takes NMN, right? He's also very clear. He's not going to, he's not recommending you take it. And he's not recommending, and by the way, he's wrote the lifespan for those listening. Amazing book. Go read it. Um, it's it's and, dense. It's uh, like, I'll just throw that caveat. It's dense. If you're not into science and like really taking your time, I, I it's funny. I would read stuff and then think about it, then go back and reread little pieces. And it yep. was, uh, it was definitely something that I could not just power through. It wasn't like reading clan of the cave bear, or picking up something yeah. and just power through it. It was a, it was definitely very, it was dense and, but it was great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, um, he makes it clear that he's taken M and N M N M N and that, you know, you may or may not want to take it. He's definitely not even recommending it. So I'm like, okay, so how do I go find a good N N M N? Um, and the reality is that I actually kind of did the research on the papers identified where the papers had purchased their product and bought it there, but I'm still not satisfied with that. So I actually have my director of research working on like, how do we test NMN? And let's look at what's available on the market and see which ones are our high quality product. Was he um, taking then, it? Was he taking it orally, or was it? Wasn't he taking it through an IV? Maybe, or was he? Putting no, it was, it, it was orally. It was oral. Yeah. Okay. He takes metformin, NMN, yep. and resveratrol uh, or orally. Yeah. The uh, the metformin studies, man. I remember. 10, 12 years ago, man, they thought that that was like going to be the panacea in terms of extending life. And then we found a bunch of issues with uh, first responders and people doing high intensity exercise mixed with metformin that were running into different like problems like rhabdomyolysis. And it wasn't necessarily as beneficial on the exercise side. So there's been some really interesting stuff with that. I did read an article and and, and even David Sinclair kind of supports this, that um, taking metformin... um, had a with vigorous exercise, those not taking metformin actually had more muscle added more muscle mass, yeah. and those taking metformin had added less muscle mass. So when I'm do, and it and it has a half life. I can't remember. It's a pretty long half life, like eight hours or something. Um, so it stays in your body a long time. So I, I'll I'll I'm only taking it a couple of days a week when I'm not doing high intensity exercise. Gotcha. Yeah. No. It's. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, it was just, it was interesting that that, that was kind of like the big life extension and obviously resveratrol too. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting when you see this stuff stand the test of time and really go through the research. And I'll tell you the, uh, the kind of the craziest stuff in terms of performance enhancing is really just, and we were joking about this yesterday, bro science, where you have these bodybuilders that are doing things. And it's pretty interesting just off of some observational anecdotal stuff. Those guys usually are not that far off. Yeah. So, well, I think there are people who are really in tune with their bodies, right? Like it's kind of like the old shaman uh, was the guy walking through the forest and could smell that mushroom was of value in some way. Uh, some people are really in tune with their body and, and can go like, when I take that, it actually really does good things for me. Well, the uh, the big bodybuilders, especially when you look at them today, uh, use insulin. I mean, that's, uh, you know, one of the within their stack and, you know, the insulin acts like a transport and they can shuttle nutrients into the cell in really interesting ways. And uh, it's pretty interesting when you look at like how those guys are using insulin, which is fucking seems insane to me in terms of like the the chance of mortality from doing this. Uh, They don't use metformin. So I, I always think, or metformin, if, uh, yeah. met, if metformin was good at putting on muscle, those guys would probably use that than injecting themselves with, you know, 10, 20, 50 IUs of, you know, a Humalog or whatever it is they're using. So it's pretty, uh, 
yeah, I mean, like when I start thinking about like, man, that's, uh, you're purposely taking a healthy individual and potentially putting them into a diabetic coma, <laughs> like fuck dude, uh, to be massive and to step on stage and look good in your underwear. It's some fucking dedication there, you know? When you put it that way, <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm always really fascinated with uh, with bodybuilding and really just that that subculture because uh, what they've perfected is the art of creating bigger athletes. And you know, I come from the NFL, and here at Power Athlete, we're focused on performance, and some of that performance involves creating, you know, larger muscles. Uh, you know, yeah, one of our programs, mass. Jack Street. You know, that's the that's the cell. I mean, I, I found this years ago when somebody comes out of the beginner phase. Uh, there's kind of a uh, two roads they can split into. They either work on increasing central nervous system efficiency or they create a larger cross-section size of a muscle to continue ramping up performance. So we have different programs and they all kind of hit it in different ways. But uh, I've always been fascinated with bodybuilders and the fact that they carry a high amount of muscle mass more than any other group. So, I mean, you have to look at their training and you're like, hey, if they're a function of their training and the diet and then also their adherence to not only different nutrition protocols, um, that I think it's pretty interesting, but I think if you want to know how to put on muscle and you want to look at, you know, not, I, let me see. And I, I think we make a really interesting kind of thing where we see somebody who's in good shape and we assume they're healthy. When I think if we were to go do blood work and look at these individuals that are standing on stage to win a bodybuilding show, they're probably some of the least healthy individuals from, you know, a toxicity standpoint, but they are carrying a high amount of muscle. You know, and the only way you get that amount of muscle is uh, be extremely metabolically flexible. So, I mean, there's some really fascinating stuff. But, uh, yeah, like when I look in and uh, was reading some stuff about that insulin deal, I was like, holy shit, this is uh, really some Russian roulette. But that's how these guys are getting so massive. And that's the big difference you've seen between the, you know, the Arnold Schwarzeneggers of the 70s and the 80s where you started getting into these Dorian Yates. And you see these guys today, like the big Ramey dude that just won the Olympia. These guys are fucking massive. They look like, yeah. uh, they look like Miles Staten Bulls, which is exactly what they should be doing because that's the function of their sport. But, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's like for the same reason that in the NFL, uh, you know, you'll see an offensive lineman who's big and fat and people will chastise him. I'm like, no, he gets paid a lot of money to be like that. And yeah, that, that's, yeah, he's that's right his, on goal. Yeah. That's his armor. That's how he's able to do this. You know, I played against Ted Washington who was 400 plus pounds and, he was fucking huge and he took up multiple gaps and did his job very, very well. And it helped to be 360, 400 pounds. So it's, uh, yeah. I think sometimes we confuse this idea of longevity and health and performance and looks. And we try to, you know, secret squirrel this whole thing. And I'm real big on silos. Like, who are you? What do you want to do? And how can we help? And I think, uh, you know, whenever we find something like this, it's always interesting and it's worth testing and seeing if we can, you know, see how this, you know, plays out. Well, that's kind of what I see within what Chris is is pushing and promoting from the product internally. It's not aesthetics, it looks, it's well-being, sleep, uh, performing well at your job, having the cognitive ability to knock it out of the park, then go home, and then go to sleep. Yeah. So it's... Well, I mean, sleep, sleep is by far the most misunderstood thing. And I think that uh, um, what, I, what I really appreciate about Dr. Matt's book and the kind of the present mode of sleep um, is there was this kind of like... Fuck, man, like through the 80s and 90s, there was just like, hey, I'll sleep when I'm dead. 
you know, and yeah. all these ideas where, you know, if you sleep too much, you're lazy, uh, you know, in the NFL for the coaching deal, you know, you got to sleep at the office and sleep three hours where, you know, nights or three hours a night, you know, uh, Elon Musk sleeps three hours and, you know, there's this kind of like we, Leonardo da Vinci, yeah, man. Leonardo da Vinci. 15 minutes an hour or something. Yeah. There, there was this idea of like, there was some badge of honor that you were this hard rider and this, you know, you know, unique, you know, individual that could attain and do more and sleep with some form of weakness. And I'm really actually happy to see that there's been kind of a reversal where it's like uh, your brain is much more active at sleep than it is at night. And the sleep is actually reparative, not only to cognitive function, but, you know, not only the body and it reaches different this. And, uh, you know, now we do all these things all day from blue light to, you know, let's say leaching plastic and all these other key factors that are affecting us on this back end. And then we wonder why we're having all these issues. So um, I really appreciate that the sleep discussion has come full circle, but I still don't think people are really ready for it. I mean, if you think evolutionarily, like how dangerous is sleep? Extremely. Like, all mean, right, like let's be yeah. unconscious and available to, uh, yeah, I don't know, uh, saber-toothed tigers for eight hours at a time. Like that is a why would the body do that? And like, Unless it was important. Valuable. Yeah, yeah it's I mean, that valuable. We're, we're in the most defenseless state we can. You have to go hide in some cave and find that cave and then block it and protect it with a fire and one whole deal. And we're completely defenseless. Uh, evolution. I mean, look, uh, giraffes sleep, what, like 15 minutes a day on their feet? I mean, it's pretty amazing that, like, it was something that this would be that, but uh, I guess you could say, like you said, would be that potentially dangerous became so important. And to be able to deny that just seems insane. Right. And, and we are the only species that will go forego sleep for no uh, helpful reason. Mm. Right. We're, we're also the slowest evolving mammal on the planet. That's another interesting one. That's I mean, interesting. Yeah. I mean, think, think about it like, a, uh, you know, a horse is born and walks within minutes. You know, I mean, we, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, we're, you know, I think what we reach full maturity, 25, 26 years old. I mean, we're the we're the slowest growing mammal on the planet. So, yeah. We're also the only one that flies in planes and has lasers and <laughs> talks about having supplements like ESS60. And has a podcast. <laughs> no, there's other chimps out there that have podcasts. There's some well, other. I guess technically these are radio waves and dolphins have radio waves. I'm, pro- I'm oh, definitely wrong. Go. I have no idea what I'm talking what about. What do you think the next smartest animal on the planet is to us? Well, I think dolphins are smarter than us. I think it's octopus. Oh, well, oh, they sorry. have different levels Oct- of consciousness. Octopi are by Octopi. far the most fascinating organisms on this planet. And the coolest thing, and, Dr. and uh, John Sapolsky and I were going back and forth on this, that uh, he, he's a buddy of ours who's uh, um, working on his PhD in marine biology, that, all, that there is no fossil lineage. They just showed up, and they've been the same. So I think they come from outer space. Well, do they have mm. any bones to fossil- fossilize? Or is it just, I don't know what an octopus is made of. I think that beak would fossilize. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. something. There's got to be something. I don't, know. I don't know. I never thought of it that, like, in that like realm that they just showed up and they haven't really changed, like, where I did mean, they come from? They can, uh, they can change, like, they have uh, camouflage. They can change color. Like, they can fit, like, through, like, a pinhole. We, Chris, we had a doctor from Yale, Lori Santos, who I forget her formal title, but a behave animal behavioral psychologist. Yeah. yeah. So she's one of the, the people that did the studies with like monkey currency 
which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. So yeah, cool where, things like that. It was Nabobos were trading food for sex. Wasn't that it? Uh, it's an, though. I mean, they did yeah. a number of things like cucumbers are more valuable than bananas and all these different things. But the then she touched on uh, consciousness of octopuses, and then o- the whole octopi, octopi. octopi whole show stopped, and we're like, okay, let's get into this. And it was like eight different levels of consciousness, yeah. different realms she was she was talking to us on a different level that was epic and and, uh, and, and well, she was talking down to us at uh, a different level i don't believe anybody's talked down to us i think i i mean at least me personally i've never felt like that but i could be delusional but yeah we didn't know much about octopi and i'll tell you from that moment on uh, it's been one of my little side projects to research well there's a have you seen there's a netflix special um about a guy who visits a, an octopus in this case an octopus for like every day um for the life of the octopus and it's like and then there's a uh, i don't know if you guys have heard of radio lab yeah podcast out of it yeah they did a special on uh on, on an octopus and it was super deep and the thing lived nurturing its babies without food for like three years like it didn't eat for three years and was defending its, you know, its eggs. And then finally the eggs, you know, the, the, the submarine would only come down, I don't know, every quarter or something. And, and they would just keep going there and it was still there, like deteriorating, protecting its eggs. And then finally the eggs were gone and like amazing kind of cool story. Damn. The, uh, the doc, I just pulled it up. My octopus teacher. Yeah. On Netflix, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, 97% on just Google users, 8.3 on IMDb. This looks awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna... A diver swims with an octopus that lives in a kelp forest off the coast of South Africa. I think I'm going to watch that with my kids. My octopus teacher. Uh, I've, I, uh, my daughter, or my one daughter is super inquisitive about everything. So, like, we will sit and watch this, and then that will just lead to more and more questions, which will be epic. Uh, awesome. Yeah, it'll be good. Awesome. It's awesome. really good. All right. Uh, if people want to know more about ESS 60, where should they go? Well, so we made a, um, a URL, right? So myvitalc.com forward slash power athlete. Ooh, I like yeah, it. Just, just for you guys. Um, and there's also basically if you go there, there's a coupon code. If you, when you go to that page, you can find our product. And I told you we have a special for subscription. Uh, it's like a 25% discount for subscription. You can cancel it at any, any time. Uh, we've got 500 five-star reviews. The team is not like talented at talking you out of it. Just take advantage of that of that offer. Uh, and a lot of customers just, you know, they pushed us to have the subscription. Awesome. When you check out, use the coupon code POWERATHLETE, and you'll get an additional $15 off of your first order. Oh, cool. All right. Even better. Cool. Well, dude, that was awesome. Uh, um, you know what? I'm I'm stoked to give it a try today, and uh, and I'm, I'm interested to see that your hair looks so good. There's a lot of bounce in there. Oh yeah, the Chris. Yeah, we're man. We're in Austin, and yeah, I'm from Houston, so frequent there. We'll we'll aim to connect sometime and um, get some healthy beverages, not diet cokes, and, <laughs> yeah. and enjoy some further conversation. No, that would be that would be really cool. Uh, and you can come and, and tour the facility. That's, Ooh, that's yeah. always nice. Uh, and, and I want to share you talked about kind of having a, a challenging situation. Um, it's parallels one of our testimonials. Uh, basically, I got our product to an influencer in the UK and her first video started off with, 
I'm in the process of quitting smoking. And you can imagine, like, if I had known she was quitting smoking, there's no way in hell I would have like, hey, also take my product and give me a good testimonial, right? Um, but even in the midst of quitting smoking, one of the phrases that she used was, I have a longer fuse with my children. Mm. And we, that is one of these testimonials that is, it's kind of hard to pinpoint. Uh, but again, it could just go back to sleep. If you're sleeping better, I mean, it's, it's understood that when you have a lack of sleep, your ability to process emotional information and situations is weakened. Um, and so if they're just getting better sleep, then you're going to be better emotionally for sure. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Uh, Dr. Chris, thanks so much for coming on uh, from my co-host, Tex. We oh, yeah. will see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head on over to myvitalc.com forward slash power athlete if you would like to get 25% off your subscription for ESS60. You can enter the coupon code powerathlete for an additional $15 off your purchase. Until next time, bye.